0: Welcome to the Green Acres podcast. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today's message comes from Pastor Michael Gossett. If you have your Bible, open we with to Acts chapter six and we're gonna continue in our series distinct. We have been talking about what is the church? What should uh, be, uh, what should the church be about? Um, and we're diving in a little bit into a little bit further clarity in how the church should function and how should the church be led. You know when you think about good leaders throughout history, uh, many times you think about former presidents, uh, many times you think about former generals. You think about Navy SEAL commanders who take charge of the scene, rangers who who take charge of the scene and and do what is necessary, even when it is difficult. I mean, we think about all types of leaders. We think about uh, CEOs. We think about men and women who lead great companies. We think about uh, founders of great organizations and people who have this ability to influence in one way or the other. That is what we think about as far as leadership. But what does it mean to be... A biblical leader? What does it mean to have this type of distinct leadership according to God's word? If we're being honest, I doubt if any one of us was in charge praise the Lord, we're not. Okay. But if any one of us were in charge, I doubt that you and I would choose Moses uh, to be the leader that would uh, help uh, relieve Israel, redeem, um, to get them out of captivity. I doubt that we would choose Moses from a lineup. I mean, Moses is a felon on the run, and yet God still uses him somehow. It's it's strange. And not only that, but Moses gives you a list of reasons why he should not be the guy. I mean, he even tells the Lord in Exodus chapter three, he says, you know what? I think you have made a mistake. I think what you were trying to get my brother Aaron. And he starts giving him all these credentials of why Aaron should be the guy and not him. Moses has a fat tongue. Like he can't even talk right. I mean, I get that, being from Georgia, okay? Most Georgians have fat tongues. I don't know what it is, all right? I, I, I'm startled that you didn't laugh at that because it's almost like a sympathy. You're like, they're like, yeah, man, we hear it. <laughs> all right, we're sorry. Uh, but I doubt that we would choose Moses. I also doubt that we would choose David. David would be the least of these that we would choose from a lineup to say, you know what would be a great idea why don't we get the runt of the litter, and why don't, why don't he go on behalf of Israel and fight the Philistines for us in this hand-to-hand, one-on-one battle with their greatest champion, this champion of Gath called Goliath? You know, that's a great idea. Let's use David, the small guy. It was almost like they were tempting um, the Lord by uh, agreeing that David should be this guy. Because, listen, um, most likely he's just going to die anyways. Then maybe we'll run away from uh, the Philistines. But it's most likely that we wouldn't choose David. I-, I doubt that we would choose Peter for any type of leadership. Peter was this guy who was just always kind of off the rails. I, I mean, he-, he always acted before he thought through I can really identify with that. But, but he, he's the guy who, who Jesus told him, he says, listen, these are the things that are coming. I'm just giving you a warning. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross. And, and this whole time, Jesus is building up to his disciples, explaining to him what's going to happen. And then as it happens, what, what does Peter do? He freaks out. He takes out his sword. He tries to split a guy's head open, misses, hits his ear. Jesus has to clean up this mess. I mean, this is the life of Peter. And oh, by the way, Peter, you are going to deny me even after being with me, seeing all of these miracles. I walked on water to you. You're going to walk back for a short time, but nonetheless, you're going to walk on water as well. And, And yet, Peter, you still don't get it and you're going to deny me. I don't think we would choose Peter. We're definitely not going to choose Paul. Paul's a murderer, kind of like Moses, but but Paul had a mission. Paul wanted to stop the church. He wanted to stop this new movement in the first century of these Jesus followers. In fact, we read about Paul being completely okay. In fact, he approved the stoning of Peter, uh, excuse me, of Stephen. Can you imagine when the Lord tells his people who are gathering in a church, he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm about to use a guy named Paul. And they're looking at him because they're now chills going down their spine at the thought of this guy because they know what this guy is all about, this Paul of Tarsus. And they got to say, okay, you, you've got to be missing something here, Lord, because this dude is actually trying to kill us. Like he wants to destroy us. He wants to end this movement that we are trying to do with you and through you. Why would you choose Paul? You know, a distinct leader comes to this understanding. That it is not the talent of men, but it is the spirit of God that accomplishes his will. It's not about your past. It's not about anything that you have accomplished or have not accomplished. It is about God having all of you to lead out for his purpose and for his glory. This is what it looks like to have a distinct leadership. And I really think that we see this kind of coming to play, coming to fruition in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, you come to a unique season in the time of the church, You come to a time where it becomes more complex in the church, and they have problems, and then we see how they deal with these problems. And so I want you to stand with me, if you're you're willing and able, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. It says this, and I want you to pay attention because you're going to have a quiz on the way out on all of these uh, names that we're going to list here. All right. It says this in verse 1. It says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased uh, the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a convert, a convert from Antioch. Uh, they had them stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. God, we ask right now. Lord, that you would speak to us, Father, that the only thing that we hear, the only thing that is said, God is from you and is for you. And so, Father, we ask that you would stir in our hearts right now as we study your living word and we praise you for it. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated once again. This is why we know that we have come to an interesting point in the life of the church in the first century. Um, you come to a more complex time. Um, because every time that the church increases in size, it becomes more complex. And this is exactly what we see. And here's what we understand. That a growing church increases ministry awareness. So I want you to think about this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it, we, we read that on that day, when the Spirit of God fell, okay, the day of Pentecost, and Peter is preaching... He's preaching full of the Spirit, and what happens? 3,000 people were added to them that day. Now, I want you to remember, because this has everything to do with our understanding of church membership. It wasn't just this. 3,000 people got saved, and now they are someone else's problem. That's not what happened. Remember, to be a member of the church means that we mutually belong to one another, that there's an interdependence that we step into as a member of God's family, specifically here in this local body. It means that I care for you and you care for me. We care for one another. This is what the body of Christ does in this interdependent relationship. So it wasn't that 3,000 people got saved. They were praising the Lord for such a great movement and now we're on to the next thing. No, no, no. They had 3,000 people who were added to their responsibility and to their care. This is a big deal. They require shepherding. They require um, care and soul care, physical care, emotional care, spiritual care, all of it. Well, then you continue reading, and because the movement of God doesn't stop in Acts chapter 2, we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says that, but many of those who had heard the word believed... And the number of the men came to about 5,000. So you see that the, the movement continues through the book of Acts in these early stages. And then in Acts chapter 5, verse 16, it says, the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I want you to understand this, that what you see from Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 5, is that the church is growing, it is increasing in number, and everyone who had a need, those needs were being met. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, that's exactly what we read. We read that they were cared for, it says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, meaning that no one was being missed, no one was falling through the cracks, no one had a need that was going unmet. They were doing everything in their power, but now we get to Acts chapter 6, and something happens something changes. They become aware of a ministry that is not being met. The Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, bring it up to um, everyone to let them understand that the widows are, are not being fed. They are not being distributed to properly. You know, it would have been really easy for the apostles to hear this complaint and immediately stiff-arm them and say, well, you go and deal with it. It would have been easy for the apostles to hear the complaint and say to themselves, you know what, this is just another complainer. I want you to know I'm never tempted in that way, okay? Did you know that complaints still exist in the church? Did y'all know that? But I want you to see something that it is not ungodly per se. It is not a bad thing always. They bring up this complaint because they are concerned about another person. They are concerned about another. You know, so this ministry awareness, this awareness that came is a good thing because here's what happens as you increase in numbers, as the church grows, guess what? Ministry needs grow with it inevitably. It's just going to happen. Every time that we have someone baptized and someone gives their life to Jesus and and they step into this church family, guess what? Now we have another perspective of potential need that could come up. This is what happens with the body of believers, and this is a good thing. This is a godly thing. But as they were increasing, And the needs were increasing. Their awareness was increasing of those needs. Here's what happens sometimes, is that those needs that we become aware of aren't addressed effectively or addressed at all or shouldn't be addressed. And instead of it being a ministry need, it becomes a potential distraction. This is what can happen. And I love the response of the apostles on this because they they have a statement of focus. They make sure that the church stays focused on what they are supposed to be focused on because they made this statement um, in in Acts chapter uh, 6, verse 2. It says, the twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Doesn't this sound extremely arrogant? I'm like you know what? <laughs> I know we need to be waiting on the tables, but but let me just tell you something. I shouldn't do it. I think someone else should do it. That's what it seems like is happening at first when you read it on the surface. But this is so far uh, from the truth. This isn't a statement of arrogance. This is a statement of focus. And because the apostles understand that their ministry that they are called to, the preaching and teaching of God's word and the ministry of prayer is more important than to be distracted by every ministry need that arises within the church. This is for the sake of the church, not for the sake of themselves. And I love how they summoned all of the disciples together. But here here is why that I think it's important for us to just kind of pause here because he brought the church together. The apostles brought the church together to have a little family meeting, to have a little discussion with everybody. Why? Most of the time, Not every time, but most of the time when a distraction or a potential distraction arises, one of the first places that it's going to be disruptive is with the members, is with the body, is between people. That's what I'm talking about here. We are all members of the same body and distractions will be disruptive first, usually within us between us, and this cannot happen, because um, what we see by him bringing them together is for the sake of unity, even though that there is a new ministry need, that he brings unity to it, because here's what happens, um, and here's what we are seeing in Acts chapter 6, because now there are new complexities. Why? Because now you have a melting pot of subcultures, a melting pot of different backgrounds, different individuals, different statuses, and now we're all supposed to function together in the church for the sake of Christ. And so he brings them together as a statement of focus and unity to say, hey, although this need has come up, although that this is happening around us, we are going to address this together because we are going to move forward together in unity with one another. New complexities. This happens. It causes a very bad word to happen. You know what it is? They had to change. That's what happened. I'm scared of why you're clapping there. Okay. Listen, can I just tell you something? Every growing church has to walk through change. It doesn't matter what season of life we're in. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. Listen, it would be so much easier. Let me tell you right now, it'd be so much easier uh, to just be a part of a dying or dead church. You know why? Because it doesn't require any change. You don't have to lead through change. You don't have to suffer through change. You don't have to deal with change because every alive church, every thriving church, every flourishing church, every church with effective ministry, you know what happens as they increase in disciples? Guess what? Change is always around the corner. Why? Because change is okay. Change is good so that we can continue to reach people for Jesus Christ. We don't change just for change's sake, but when we are called to change, we do it for the sake of Jesus Christ. Christ. And here's what happens. If we want to see revival take place, if we want to see revival in our church, in your heart individually, it makes us have to pivot at times. It makes us do things that are sometimes uncomfortable. Because I'm telling you, when a church is committed to discipleship, it will increase their disciples' This is what God does with his people throughout history. And every time there are more disciples, guess what? It causes us to make changes. But I love how they brought this complaint up. Because every time we hear the word complain, you think negatively. you think in this is a negative, we think of it in a negative connotation. But, but the reason why, because we know this in scripture. I mean, Paul warns us against grumbling. Paul warns us against complaining. He says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. James says the same thing in James chapter 5, verse 9. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. You see, there is a complete different posture here. Because listen, what James says is, Do not grumble against one another. You see, here's how you know, okay, is this a godly complaint or not? Are you complaining against a brother or are you complaining for a brother? Are you complaining against a sister or are you, uh, 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 what's the word? Complaining, thank you, complaining on behalf of a sister. You see, this is the difference of posture. This is the difference in heart here. You see, one is against you, one is for you. One is against someone else and, and for somebody else. Listen, that's not how we do business here. That's not how we do things. If there is a ministry need, we are going to bring it up because it is on behalf of a brother and sister in Christ. It is on behalf of those who are far from Christ. It is on behalf of those who do not know Christ. This is how we know that this is a godly and righteous complaint that I have to bring up. But anything else, we just need to keep it to ourselves. Anything else, we just sit on it and pray through it and ask the Lord to reveal what is right in this, what is good in this. Make sure before you place your complaint in the complaint box that it is for the purpose of building God's kingdom and not tearing it down. That's how we know whether or not our complaining is godly, because it's a posture of righteousness. It's a posture of a heart that is for the kingdom. And here's what happens when we have complaints that go unchecked it starts to ripple through the body. Now you have someone saying, um, well, we well, we need this. Well, we need this. Well, we need this. Well, we need this. Listen, when we talk about we, 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 instead of you, 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 listen, that's when we get a little bit in trouble here. But when it's on behalf of a brother or sister, this is why God brings things to light in the church is for his kingdom and his kingdom alone. Because if they go unchecked, it will inevitably disrupt the mission. Distractions will disrupt what God is trying to do in you, through you, for you, and around the world. Acts chapter 6 relates this story from the early church that begins with A statement about increasing in numbers and it ends in a statement about increasing in numbers. So we can trust the narrative here. We can trust what God is calling us to do here because it is all about the mission. It makes missional statements. It says, the disciples were increasing in number. Then it ends. It says, the number of disciples continued to increase greatly. This is what is taking place. That we can recognize that a growing church is full on for the mission of God. Making any change necessary to continue to reach people for Jesus Christ. And this is what the disciples said. This is their response in Acts chapter 6 verse 2. It says, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Now once again, this may hit us the wrong way. It sounds kind of strange as if they are too good to wait on tables, but this is not what is happening. The apostles understood that even though there's a need that they are now aware of, instead of um, just um, ultimately uh, being distracted from the mission, what they said is, no, 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 we are going to be focused on the mission that God has called us to. And they're giving us an example of how we cannot neglect, no matter what comes up, we cannot neglect the preaching of God's word, the teaching of God's word, and the ministry of prayer. Because here is what will happen if we get disrupted and distracted, okay? That we are going to see every change that is necessary for the mission, we are going to see it as a threat against us rather than an opportunity for God's kingdom, you see, a uh, growing church increases leadership opportunity. This is what was necessary. As the apostles were looking at the situation, as they were hearing the complaints, they were hearing the concerns, and they know that they cannot give up give up teaching the Word of God, they cannot give up this ministry of prayer. And they said um, that they are going to appoint. Uh, godly men, entrust godly men for the purpose of service. And I love what is taking place here because what this does is it takes a, what could be a threat and a distraction, and now it's an opportunity for God's word to continue, God's ministry to continue throughout the land as Jesus intended. And what we see is that this is an opportunity for biblical structure. You know, there is only um, one spiritual organism in the world. There's only one, and it is the church. Everything else is an organization. And this spiritual organism in the world that God instituted is for the purpose of his mission. This is what John MacArthur says about it. He says, every false religion is an organization orchestrated by men and demons, Every human institution, non-religious, is a structure made by men. There's only one spiritual organism, one work of God in the world, and that is the church. What this means is that we are a living, breathing people because we are alive in Christ Jesus himself. And so as long as Christ is alive and Christ is in you, This is a living organism for his purpose on his behalf. This is not just an organization, but rather a living organism that fluctuates with the movement and purpose of God directed by the spirit of God. And here's what is interesting. Most um, young folks, okay, they are just anti-institution, okay? Uh, anti institution This is what is happening around our world. And so they look at the church and they say, there's no way that I'm going to be involved with that because it's an institution. Well, there's some truth to that, except there is no truth to that. And the truth is, is that it is not an institution. It is a living organism. And just because it is an organism doesn't mean it shouldn't be organized. You see, God gives great clarity of how the church should be organized. God gives clarity to how we should be structured as a church so that the effectiveness of ministry continues, so that the church can continue to flourish. And Jesus alone is the head of the church. Um, early on, um, when, uh, when I first became pastor, Rowan, our Smallest girl, but number three in the line, three or four. Uh, Rowan says, um, so this is no longer Pastor David's church? T- to which I said, no, it's still his. No, I'm kidding. I didn't say that. But what I did say is, like, whoa, 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 hey, let's, let's correct some theology here. Um, listen, this church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to Pastor David. It doesn't belong to Daddy. This church belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. This is what Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 5. He says that it is Christ who is head of the church. It is Christ who gives all direction to the church. And we are servants under him. We are all together servants under him. But it doesn't mean that we should lack structure just because Jesus is the head of the church. And so God made structure for us. Jesus made structure for us that he gave us uh, two offices in the New Testament church. The first is elder, and elder goes by elder, uh, pastor, bishop, shepherd. Okay, these are all synonymous for one office. And then the second office is deacon, and it is in this time, okay, that we see in Acts chapter six, we see uh, deacon, uh, Diocanea or diakonos, We see it used twice. We see it to deacon the tables, and then we see it to deacon the word. that we are to serve the tables, we are to serve the word. And this is what we see on on these two offices. It It is not as if that other people should not participate, even though that there are only two offices mentioned in the New Testament. What it does, though, is it gives us clarity that there should be organization within the organism. It is not um, institutional thinking to have structure and to have clarity. This is biblical. This is what we should do. But here's what is interesting about our structure is that the good news about structure is that it creates opportunity for biblical support. Now, this means that every single person, it doesn't matter if you are three or a hundred. Every single person has a job in the church. Like you have a calling. You may not be called to be the pastor. You may not be called to be a deacon. You may not be called to be a connect group leader. You may not be called to any of these things, but you are called to be you. And God has called you to serve in his church and to support the kingdom work. Every single one of us, we've talked about this in church membership, and now we get to see how it is played out even in the effectiveness of church ministry, that everybody, though not the same role, has a role to be a part of the church. And when we are committed to biblical structure, you know what that means? Is that, is that we are committed to continuing God's kingdom work. And this means that we have an important role to play in support of the church. This is what Paul tells Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's saying, listen, make sure that you are entrusting. You see, this is the same thing that we see in Exodus chapter 18. In Exodus chapter 18, there is a leadership principle that comes out, and it's called the Jethro model of leadership. Y'all you know, remember who Jethro is? He's Moses', the felon, we talked about him earlier, all right, Moses' father-in-law. And Moses is out, he's doing ministry, he's participating in all the judgments, everyone is coming to him, everyone is coming to him. And Jethro sees this, and he makes this statement, he says, Moses... What you're doing is not good. You got to get some structure in this. You got to get some support in this. And he says, entrust the service to the faithful. And this is the same thing that we see throughout the New Testament, that biblical leadership is a sharing leadership. Biblical leadership is not about control for one group or another group. It is about getting out of the way so the Spirit of God can move in His people. And we say this often at our church. And listen, this is not what we are doing. This is not what we should be doing. This is just what the Bible says, that we should be Spirit-led, that we should be pastor-directed. We should be staff administered, deacons served, committee supported, and congregationally approved. This is a biblical structure of how we should operate. And you know what the promise is? It's not that other structures are wrong or evil or anything like that, but we want to do everything in our power to have integrity to biblical fidelity. We want to make sure that we are continuously pointing ourselves in the direction of God's word, and you have a role to play in that. You know what John Piper says? He says, spiritual leadership is using God's methods to get his people where he wants them and reliance on his power. You no, know this means is that every single one of us, we want to use what God says to use. We want to use God's method so that every single one of us are filled with the spirit of God. We are relying on the power of God so that we can all support and serve the purpose of God. That's what we want to do as a church. You support the church financially. You support the church with your time, with your uh, serving, with talking positively about the church and all that God is doing. You are called to be the champion for the vision that God has called us to. That's how you support God's church. And Satan will try to do everything possible. You know, from Acts chapter one to Acts chapter six, you see different schemes. You see outside persecution, Then you see strife from within. Listen, if Satan can't win by outside persecution, he will do everything possible to disrupt us from within, to distract us. But that should not happen to us as we continue to rely on the spirit of God in our lives and drive forward to the mission that he has called us to. But it is impossible for you Because listen, if you think about, okay, I know I should be supportive. I know I should step in. But here's here's the issue. The first step for you is to surrender to Jesus. Listen, it is a daily surrender. Some of you, that's for the first time that you need to be saved, that you need to give your life to Jesus. That is your first step of surrender. Some of you need to surrender to Christ through baptism so that you can remove any barrier. You're not completely obedient in Christ. Some of you need to join our church family so that you can step into that role of support. Whatever that is, God is calling you today to make that step of faith. We pray with me, God, we ask you, Lord, that you would continue to show us your path. God, that you would continue to show us and reveal yourself to us. Father, I'm praying. For for the one, for the several, for the many, God, who is just not walking in obedience with you. God, I pray that whatever that is, Father, that you would reveal that to us today. God, for those who need to give their life to you to be saved, Father, would you open their eyes and their heart to you today? And those that need to take a step of obedience in baptism, a step of obedience in church membership, God, whatever it is, Would you wake us up to it that we may fully obey you? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we want to help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, Maybe you need to figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at green acres whatever that decision is we want to come alongside you and so do us a favor you can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly whatever it is that god has laid on your heart we want to walk with you in your growth in jesus christ i look forward to hearing from you soon